Hey everybody, welcome to episode 61 of the Utah Royals FC show. I am Virgil Leonard and with me I have RJ Allen. Hey RJ. Hey Virgil, how are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. There's a ton to talk about this week. Lots of news. Game against Orlando, upcoming game against Washington. Uh, We have a ton of awesome feedback from the listeners this week. This is probably the most feedback we've gotten for a single episode on the Twitters. So that's definitely exciting. Moving to the game. So we had the U.S. Women's National Team play a win over Mexico, 3-0. Kelly O'Hara was incredible. Uh, Tobin Heath was a left back. I don't understand Jill Ellis. We're not going to go into that. Press had a great goal. Um, RJ, you were at that game. I was. Um, So I was also in the press conference after the game, and Jill Ellis's explanation for Tobin Heath was basically, well, in the the scheme we're running for this, the left back and the left wing and the left forward are basically all the same position and run and all that. Um, So let's go with that. And well, that may be well and true, the problem is that Tobin Heath does not defend incredibly well and you would in theory like your left back to be able to do that. Um, So yeah, that was an interesting, interesting thing. Um, O'Hara looked great um, to sort of bring it back to Utah. She was super sharp. She had some good tackles. She was defensively pretty sound. She got up when she needed to. There was at one point I thought she was going to have a goal. Um, Unfortunately, didn't happen. Uh, Sauerbrunn also looked good. She looked her usual Sauerbrunn self. Um, And boy, that Kristen Press goal was nice. She does not need a lot of space. You just have to give her the ball and have her on a good angle and she can put it in there. Boom. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible. It was a good win. Again, I still think it's so weird to tinker this late. Um, You know, we talked about this a little bit, that it comes from a place of, I think, that wouldn't be possible if there wasn't a real resource disparity in the globalized game. Just like, oh, it's, you know, the game before the World Cup. Let's push this player there. But, you know, oh, well, it happened. Um, So Katie Bowen played her last game with us, which... I think is kind of incredible because the U.S. Women's National Team were gone like 44 days before the World Cup starts is when they were released. And Katie Bowen played with us, went to play against the U.S. Women's National Team in St. Louis and played another game with us and just now is, you know, getting over to do New Zealand, their pre-training camp. So I don't know why it's not like that for other countries or why there's not like a set standard. Do you do you have any insight on that? Well, a lot of it is seasons. Most players who play for New Zealand, their seasons were already done. So they didn't have to worry about getting released from their teams or different things like that. Um, so I do think that is a factor of it, of Urseg and Katie Bowen, Urseg playing for North Carolina. Um, they're in the middle of their seasons. And I don't know, I don't know either way, but I don't know that they didn't ask to go back to their teams or not. Um, it seemed from Allie Riley's Instagram, which is where we get most of our news in uh, <laughs> women's soccer world, that they were training and that there was a fair number of the team together. Um, so I don't know if basically those two were just released and they were having sort of a, a more informal camp with everybody else, but a lot of teams are just out of season. A lot of the European leagues are just done right now because the champions league is done. So they don't necessarily need to care as much about 
formal releases the way that Americans do because we're right in the middle of our season. Yeah. I think that's, you know, we've talked about this before, but I think that's what's so infuriating to me about this U.S. women's national team getting released so much earlier. I don't know. I won't get into it to a tangent, but it's, it's just bad for the league, you know? I mean, in some ways, yes. Um, in some ways, it is very much this frustration. I do think in other ways, it shows that the U.S. does want that commitment to being together and to getting things figured out. It just, unfortunately, it falls at a really inopportune time for the U.S. I don't know if they only had like a two-week camp without any prep games or maybe just one or two prep games. I don't know how people would take that as well. I, I don't think that there's a ton that they could do that would make everybody happy. Cause I do think the players want to be together and prepped and all of that. And I do think the coaching staff wants that on the other side, you know, would Paul Riley or Laura Harvey or, you know, Mark Parsons want their superstars out there? Absolutely. Um, but if, you know, say Kristen press breaks her leg on a, you know, a bad takeaway against the club team, is that going to absolutely cause issues? Yeah. So I don't know what the answer is, um, but unfortunately, I don't see it changing anytime soon on the national team side for the U.S. Same on my end. That's some really good insight, though. All right. Shall we move to the last game a little bit? Orlando Pride, worst team in the league. Big story is uh, the curse is broken. We have two goals. It feels Great. Personally, I think we should have had a lot more, but you know, more than one goal and a clean sheet is more than one goal. So improvement. In some ways, yes, absolutely. In some ways, this was an improvement in terms of number of goals scored. Um, it was not exactly a masterclass in finishing though. Um, it really was a little disheartening to see all of the shots and all of the shots, just not even close to goal. Um, it was a little bit like watching a couple of Lynn Williams out there. Like everybody was taking mm. shots, just only four of them hit target. Um, and only two of them went in off of that. So yes, 50% shots on target uh, rate to goals is great, but we got to bring down the shots on goal uh, compared to overall shots. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Um, I think my biggest take takeaway out of this game and maybe just because it's, I don't want to say cheesy, but, you know, it's its an emotional, it's a happy moment. Just the look on Mackenzie Doniak's face when she got that goal. And um, especially, she was just elated in the press conference. And you absolutely love to see that. Three sub-appearances this year, 39 minutes, got her first shot, first goal, right through the legs. Coming off, you know, um, an ACL injury in... Any player coming off an ACL injury asks themselves the question, am I going to be the same? Um, I think for Doniak to get that goal 39 minutes into coming back from an ACL injury is huge. And I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah, I think a lot of players aren't the same after they tear their ACL. And that's okay as long as they figure out how to be the best version of themselves they can be with now how their body reacts. And that'll be the struggle and that'll be the challenge for Doniak going forward is, okay, how does my knee work now? How does it work different than before? And how can I use that to my benefit? Um, 
and it looked she looked good out there. She looked solid. Um, I definitely need more time to to take a look at what she can do. But if she can get a couple goals, if she can pull a little bit of defense away from Stangle or A Rod or, or Vero, um, that's great. And that's exactly what you want out of a player like her. So it's great to see her get one. And I'm looking forward to seeing how she develops the rest of the year. On the notion of A-Rod, Stengel, and Vero. So, Amy Rodriguez, we talked right before the players started filtering out for the World Cup that either Stengel or A-Rod needed to step in and score. And I think it was you, I think you were the black sheep that said A-Rod was going to be the first one to score. And I said it was going to be Stengel. And look where we are now. Amy Rodriguez, four goals in four appearances one of them is a PK, so what? I will 100%, 100% take that. Yeah, you got to take what's given to you, right? Like, if you present Amy Rodriguez with a chance to score, she's going to want it, whether it's a PK or, you know, a shot inside the box or out. Um, she actually has, I believe, seven goals and nine appearances if you go back to 2019. Um, so that is really deadly. And somehow Amy Rodriguez is a little bit underrated as a player, even with her resume. Um, I don't know if it's because she's not on the national team anymore or because, um, Lauren Holiday's not there and that was a big key for her and how she was as a player. Um, I don't know, but Amy Rodriguez is a great, great forward. Um, maybe she doesn't necessarily complement all that Kristen Press does, and maybe the first couple of games people were a little down on her because of that. I don't know. Um, but I like this A-Rod. I like watching her, you know, be all she can be, and right now she's sort of being all she can be. Yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely the old A-Rod. I think last year we saw... The okay, just you know, sort of getting back into the ACL. I'm sorry, getting back from the ACL, trying to find my feet and you know, take that time and try to rediscover, like you said, you know, that type of player you are, um, what works, what doesn't work. And you know, now she's just on fire, second in the league, right behind, um, I think it's Crystal Dunn from North Carolina. Uh, Sam Kerr has six, I believe Crystal Dunn has. Five or four, I don't honestly remember off the top of my head. What did you think about Stengel this last game? Uh, so instant fact check. Amy Rodriguez and Crystal Dunn both have four. Uh, they're tied for a second. Sam Kerr has six. Party. Um, so Katie Stengel, I don't know. I don't know what I make of Katie Stengel. She hasn't played particularly brilliantly, and she doesn't look like the player she was last year, but she didn't look like the player she was last year for every game last year. She did have moments where she didn't look quite like the same player. Um, some games she had really good games, some games she didn't. I think in some senses last year was a bit of a breakout year for her, and now she may be returning a little bit to more of how she usually is. It may just be that... She's a little cold and she's going to hit a hot streak. I don't know. Um, I do wonder what Laura Harvey is going to do if Stangle doesn't catch and how she's going to adjust the lineup to maybe have Stangle sit a game just to, to sort of take her out of it and let her sort of recoup. Yeah. Stangle is so interesting to me because last year, phenomenal, you know, golden boot winner for the club. This year, 
and admittedly it was like this for last year too, is that she just sort of disappears in games for long stretches of time. And that's something that I've really noticed. I don't know if, you know, it may just be a matter of that she's not getting the service, but it just feels like she isn't there. I do think this was probably her best game of the season. I think that her holdup play is incredible and ability to dish it off, but the finishing on her end has just been abhorrent to put it bluntly. It just has not been good. And hopefully she'll find that form because as we've seen, she has the potential and the ability to be able to do it. Something is just not clicking and hopefully she gets one because I'm thinking if she can get one or two, I think the floodgates will, will start to open for her the rest of the season. Yeah. I think she's the type of player that, it, once she hits, she can keep hitting, but it's that first goal that is really, really tough for her to get. Um, and the team is different than it was last year. I don't know how much Vero and her styles connect as it is right now. And I think once they figure out how to play together, that's going to be a lot better of a partnership. I think Amy Rodriguez and Vero just have sort of really good natural chemistry. And it seems that Laddish is coming in and that's helping as well. So we'll see. It's weird because a lot of the Royals players were on Kansas City together. And you can sort of see those roots of those old partnerships come back. But then you throw in a Stengel this year and a Vero. Stengel was with the team last year. But Stengel and Vero and all the players that are coming from different teams. And you sort of see that those chemistries are there. But they may not be as strong as some of the older, more long-lasting chemistries. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Moving on uh, to this game. Honestly, I was terrified coming into this game that we were going to have to talk about Sam Johnson having a horrible game. Uh, much, much better. Much more composed on the ball. She had some great clearances, especially at the end. Um, definitely making up for some of the really, um, I guess, just not careful work in some of the some of the previous games and she she really needed to have I don't think she she came into this game against Orlando needing to have an absolutely incredible game but I think she needed to have a solid game and I think she had a solid halfway to incredible game what are your thoughts on Sam Johnson in this game I don't think Sam Johnson is in a winnable position um because she's in a position that She's behind two people that Utah fans and just NWSL fans in general love. Becky Sauerbrunn and Rachel Corsi are about the two most well-liked center backs in the league, right? Like, mm -hmm. who who wants Becky Sauerbrunn or Rachel Corsi displaced in any way, right? And if, you know, Sam Johnson was to play out of her mind, then maybe that happens. And I think a lot of people are holding her to a standard that isn't fair. Now, I think some of her play this year has not been great. And I think for long stretches, it hasn't been great. Um, but I do think she was at the, at times she's been held up to a standard that isn't fair. Um, I do think she was better this game. I think that she's calmed down. I think she's been able to sort of find her way into actually being like, okay, I am the one in charge. There is no Corsi. There is no Sauerbrunn to sort of guide my way. I have to be that leader. And I think she's, she's better. Um, I think some of the roster choices around her make her more comfortable and that in turn makes her play better. Moving to the other center back, Gabby Vincent had a solid game for a rookie. She didn't have a lot to do, 
But I think particularly when she subbed on against North Carolina, you could see that there's this, this fire, this potential for her. And she was just one of those players. She wasn't drafted. She showed up to training and boom, it, it just happened. I, I think Gabby Vincent could be a solid player for a long, long time. And it's, you know, once the world cup ends, she's not going to get minutes. That's going to be hard, but it's, I'm, I'm really interested to see what Gabby Vincent can do as well as the sort of potential rotation between Sam Johnson, Gabby Vincent and Megan Cox until the world cup ends. But for a rookie getting their first start, I was impressed despite there not being much to do. Your so, thoughts? so I think Gabby Vincent is why there should be an NWSL combined. Um, and here is why Laura Harvey and a lot of coaches in the league, to be fair, especially the British coaches aren't used to the NCAA system, right? Like NCAA soccer rules are bizarre. There's re-entry, the clock goes the other way. Things are just different. The rules are legitimately different than at the pro level or really any other level. Um, And because of that, I don't think Laura Harvey trusts necessarily the results on the NCAA level, and a lot of coaches don't. Tom Sermani was also famous for just not wanting to draft anybody. And I think partly that's because they don't have any sort of way to see them outside of that NCAA system. I think having a combine, having a way for these players to show up and having all the NWSL coaches there, let them run them through their paces, let them run them through a giant open tryout sort of system where they can come and they can show up and show off their talents, have them run like a 40 yard, have them do a beep test, have them do sort of all of those tests that they would do, have them play some short sided stuff. Um, maybe even bring a couple of your NWCL team there and just like have them work out. So each coach can sort of do a little bit of training, a little bit of tryouts with them, or, or even if it's not that involved, just something because Laura Harvey is a fantastic talent evaluator. And if she had some of that evaluation of her own, if she had eyes on these players in a system like that, she would be able to draft better. And a lot of coaches would be able to use the draft as a more valuable thing. I think when you're just relying on a few clip packages from the team's management or from the player themselves that they've made, when you're relying on college play, which is so different than any other thing, I think it makes it really, really hard. So I think a a combine or something to that effect would give players like Vincent a chance to show up and actually show what they can do outside of that system that is sort of just an aberration in terms of how it's set up to the rest of soccer. What do you think the likelihood is or, you know, the chances that something like that could happen or would happen? Um, I think we'll get an NWSL all-star game first, and I don't think we're going to get one of those for a while. <laughs> ditto, ditto. All right, so Mallory Weber, admittedly not a player I was super signed on, was thinking, oh, this will be a deep player. Someone probably won't play a lot. Um, Made a couple of appearances. Second, she subbed in the game. She had this great run. She disappeared for other parts, but she, she really opened up space. I think she changed the game a little bit. I I think Weber is a really nice part of this team and could really be able to change things. If you look at her heat map, which I know uh, Lucas loves to look at heat maps, um, 
she really has some lit up areas towards the middle and right in front of goal. Like the entire six yard box is just lit up like a Christmas tree for her. And I think that's great. It's showing just how much when she goes in, she's really sort of sitting there and getting ready and going in. Um, it sort of is amazing. If you look at this, it, it's just, it's great. Um, and I think she could definitely be somebody who, uh, makes a makes a big impact, and I'm I'm interested to see how she develops as well. Um, a lot of this is going to be how the players develop. We don't know a couple games in how they're going to look at the end of the season, and we don't know how they're going to look when everybody's back. Um, how does she play against Kristen Press? That's ultimately a big big question of anybody on this team right now. Is how do they play when the starters are back and they have to sub in, and the level is just very very different. Um, and Weber thankfully has come from a team where there's a bunch of really really talented players. Um, she's had to play with Tobin Heath and Kristen Sinc- Christine Sinclair and you know Klingenberg and all these other you know pros pros. So I'm excited to see what she can do now and when everybody comes back. Yeah, she definitely has, I think, a lot of different tricks and a lot of different knowledge in her bag coming from a place like Portland, where she had been a while, been for a while. All right. um, So on to the next thing. Vero came off with what we have been told is a right quad injury. Had a lot of people ask what the situation is with Vero, how bad it is. Um, Reached out, have not heard anything back, which is understandable with the, you know, right after a game and then a Memorial Day weekend. And it may not even be evaluated that much yet. Um, Personally, I think Lucas said that coming off, she looked really, really pissed. And I think maybe she wanted to have stuck with a little bit more. I don't know. I'm not incredibly concerned. I think, I, I think she'll be back, but again, we don't, you know, we don't have all that information. I, I'm not super concerned either. I think we'll see when she does come back. If she comes back, you know, for the next game, we'll get the injury report um, Friday or so and be able to see if she's questionable, if she's on there at all. Um, Vero is a player that has a lot of experience. She knows if she's actually hurt, um, it's better to rest a little bit than try to rush back out there. Some players never learn that lesson. We'll see. Um, but her looking pissed coming off doesn't tell me anything more than she didn't really want to come off, which is not her call. That's something Laura Harvey has to do to protect her. And Laura Harvey did her job. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll see. So um, to be determined, we will check back and tweet that out what we find. All right. Um, Stealing from backline, we're going to play a game. Instead of does it matter, we're going to call was it dirty? All right, RJ. Labonta's foul. Was it dirty? Was it a red? It was approaching dirty, and it should have been a red. Um, you can't kick another player when the ball is away from you. You shouldn't kick another player when the ball is right there. But just to sort of give her a tap in the ankle and then just, like, track the ball, it's just like you know what you're doing. Labonta is a smart player. She has been around the league. She knows better. Um, 
that's sort of what it all comes back to me is like she knows two things. She knows better and she knows she's probably not going to get called for it. And if she does get called for it, it's probably not going to be a red card. And to me, that's a bigger problem than if she just like went in for a tackle and the ball was already away and it was late. Like that is not good, but that's understandable. Like it's a split second reaction, but kicking another player in the shin, that is not a split second reaction. She made that choice. She should sit down for a game. Huh? I am in the same boat sort of also not. Well, yeah. So I think it was definitely a foul. I don't know if it, exactly if it was a yellow or a red. I think it was definitely a foul. Um, that said, I think it was borderline dirty, but I think there's a difference between malicious and dirty, and I don't think that Lola Bonton was intentionally trying to be malicious about it. I don't think many players in NWSL, and you, know, you have a much larger viewpoint than I do, but in terms of the NWSL, where we have seen so many incredible players with potential have careers ruined due to ACL injuries and due to other types of injuries, as well as how small the league is and how much everyone knows one another. I think it's a league where it's, I think in order for something to be malicious, there has to be, um, you know, to, to borrow a term from the social sciences, there has to be, some sort of level of dehumanization and intent. And I think that with how small the league is, I don't think that there is that maliciousness. I think it is a hundred percent a split second reaction. And so I think that players, you know, knowing this, and as you said, you know, being smart in the end of so I, I would make the argument that I don't think very few players intentionally hurt players because they know that that could be them. And they know that in the NWSL, it's not like a men's league where they're going to get injured and they're going to sit on the bench and make a couple million dollars. You know, their career is going to be over and they're going to be giving up a passion. Those are just my thoughts on it. So I do think it's a card. I don't think it was that malicious or dirty. I think it was just a split second reaction. I think you're social sciencing this too much and trying to add a level of complexity that I don't necessarily think this has. And look, you and I are both sociologists by training and by degree, or at least I, <laughs> I, I ostensibly have a sociology degree. Um, I think that, yes, yes, you are completely right in the terms of how social science treats uh, the dehumanization and all that. But I think like, People thought McCall Zerboni was dirty until she was getting national team time. And then all of those tackles they thought were dirty were no longer dirty because she was doing it for the national team. I think what you think is dirty can be as simple as, is this a player on my team or is this not a player on my team? Um, I think what is dirty can be as simple as, you know, does that cross a line into they didn't have to do this to do their jobs? Lola Bonta did not need to kick somebody to do their job. The ball was away. Another player had it. Um, according to the rules, you know, violent conduct uh, is a red card. I don't know what's more violent than kicking somebody when the ball is already away from you and they're in front of you. Hmm. Agree to disagree. But at the same time, like, I definitely... It is violent conduct. I agree with that. But I don't think that Lola Ponta has this mentality of like, I'm going to kick you in the shins because, you know, I'm mad at you. I think it's 
still part of that split second reaction. It's wrong either way you look at it, but maybe I'm just giving her the benefit of the doubt because I'm a homer. I don't know. I think that in a lot of ways, this is the league creating a problem for the league of if the referees were calling games tighter, Lola Bonta would know that if I do this, I'm going to get a card instead of, Oh, I might go to the disciplinary committee. Um, So I think that in a lot of ways, if the league would call games tighter, players wouldn't do this crap. And I would like the game much better if the referees were giving more cards. I definitely think the league is undercalled and undercarded. And I think that leads to things like this. And because of that, a lot more people are having to be homers because a lot of this stuff happens every game. Every game, there is a situation like this now, which is unfortunate. All right, so we've given our opinions. We want to read off some of your thoughts and what some of y'all have said. So Marcus says, I didn't see the foul up close, but I've seen the videos. Wow, that was uncalled for. If the league doesn't, I believe Laura Harvey should, and fair play to her, leave her out of the 18 for a game or two. Respect, keep it beautiful. Um, Mary followed up with that. I, I agree, I was embarrassed but to be honest, Sam Johnson is like that on the regular. Don't entirely disagree there with that. John says, uh, I was right in front of the foul. It looks so petty and dirty. I was positive she was getting carded. Although unnecessary, or sorry, absolutely unnecessary and should be suspended. Uh, Angelie says, a shit storm of press is coming down on low for this foul. Sucks when you get caught on camera. Although at the same time, Pickett is sort of coming off as a martyr. What's the whole story? I want to know. Um, I don't know if like, I'm sorry. Yes, they were jockeying for the ball. There were hands on both sides, but she kicked somebody in the shin. Like there was no kick from Pickett to her shin. Like sometimes the whole story is a player you like did something you don't like. And that happens a lot in sports. And it's not an indictment on Lola Bonta's character. If I say she should have gotten a red card when she should have gotten a red card. Yeah. Yeah. I I agree with that. I mean, I do, in the sense of where this comment is coming from, Carson Pickett's, you know, elbow was kind of kind of up in Lillibon's face, but it doesn't excuse one action does not excuse a much more serious action um, from the perspective. Um, so on this notion of whether this was a red card or not. And honestly, so many folks have been talking about it. Like Alex Morgan chimed in tons, tons of Orlando, Orlando players. It's really sort of heating up. Um, one of our guys from RSL soapbox, Ian, who is a ref and has been a ref for a while, has some thoughts from coming from the perspective of a referee. And, uh, here are those. Hey guys, this is Ian, the Soapbox's carrier of yellow cards. Um, I wanted to take a quick second to talk about the Levanta card that wasn't uh, from this last weekend's match against the Orlando Pride. Um, my normal kind of uh, preface uh, applies here. Um, I am not a NWSL referee. I'm not a FIFA referee as Karen Happ is. Uh, I'm just a guy that does this as a hobby and spends way too much time watching the sport and reading the laws of game of the game for fun. 
so that being said, um, I know that it is tempting to look at the GIF that is being shared over and over and over again, and I've probably seen it a good 30 times already. Uh, it's, I think it's, it's important to look at that and realize that that's not necessarily the way that uh, a game should be called. Uh, so I am currently headed back from a USYSA tournament for uh, in the state of Idaho, um, and we had the fortune of working with a lot of national trainers and national assessors, uh, you know, people that care and apt will, you know, be assessed by and evaluated by. So, uh, not, per, not particularly, you know, to the situation, but we did talk about a lot of things that I think apply here that I think are important. Um, the first thing is, is that it's really important to not look at situations just in abstract of themselves. Uh, as a referee, we try or are supposed to try anyway. Sometimes it's a little bit more difficult to think in a linear fashion, uh, to consider how the game has been played up until that point and through that point and consider the effects of the calls that you make throughout the course of the game. Now, I unfortunately have only watched about the first half of the game. Um, I've done uh, something like 10 games in the last few days, so I haven't had a ton of time to watch soccer, but I did watch about the first 20 to 25 minutes of the Royals-Orlando game, and I think that just watching that few minutes kind of gave me some insight into the reason why there was not a card given. Uh, if you watch those first 15, 20 minutes, and I, I don't have my notes in front of me because I'm recording off my phone and I'm driving, and so that's probably not safe, but... Uh, it's important to notice that in that in those first 20 minutes or so, I believe I counted about seven fouls. Um, of those seven fouls, I don't think any of them were called, if I remember correctly. And I think at least two of them were probably card-worthy. So that tells me that the referee, uh, which, as I mentioned before, is a, is a FIFA you know, referee, one of the highest grades that you can get in the world, uh, had decided that this game was going to play a pretty rough game. Uh, I had the chance of uh, meeting and talking with a few NWSL referees a few weeks ago, uh, and one of the things that they do is they go through and they will watch watch film. They have OptiData. They have everything that you could want to kind of decide before they go into the game this is what the pacing is going to be. This is kind of what the problem areas are going to be. So I think they went into that game kind of expecting it to be a pretty physical game, and they kind of set up some thresholds for it. So that's a, an important thing to consider, that the, the gift that you're watching is an abstract. It's taken out of everything, and it's shown from a specific angle that the referee and assistant referee would not have had. Uh, so... It looks egregious, and it is, but it's also in kind of the context of a 90-minute match. It changes the face of it a little bit. So all that being said, let's drill down to that actual instant. And I, I think having watched it and watching it in the context of the game, uh, I 
think that that was a missed foul on both cases. I think that uh, per the laws of the game and the FIFA considerations, you have to look at the hand to Labonta's neck and face as probably a yellow card. I don't think it was violent conduct because the uh, Orlando player, whose name I cannot remember off the top of my head, does not... It does not appear to be a deliberate action, but it is an action that I think she knows when she puts her hand back there and then continues to hold it there that she is on the neck and not the shoulder. So I definitely can see that being a yellow card. Uh, Labonta's kick out, I think, is probably an orange card. Um, depending on the events that led up to that, I would probably like to see a yellow or a red on that, um, just kind of depending on the rest of the context around that. But like I said, I think the context is, is the important bit there more so than the actual incident itself. So um, hopefully one of these days when I'm not running all over getting yelled at for being terrible at calling offside, uh, we will do a deeper dive into this kind of stuff. But uh hope this answers some questions. Uh, thanks to the Royals FC show for giving me a chance to do this weird recording and uh, hopefully it gets plugged in well thanks all right thanks ian that was great (laughs) um so next game washington spirit rj i don't know how the hell utah Royals fc and the washington spirit are tied for first in the league but they are and this is the end of a cell and surprises happen anything can happen and here we are I don't know how this is a thing. Um, They're sitting on the same records for one and one. Um, They have scored. uh, They have Washington Spear have scored 10 goals in six games. This is bananas a little bit. Um, I knew Washington would be better than last year. I did not know they were going to be this good. And frankly, they're a team that is going to pick up a lot of points over this World Cup break. I think Utah's in the same boat. Um, and they might get into the playoffs simply because of this World Cup run is going to put them so far ahead of some teams that are so reliant on their national team players. Um, this is a huge, huge game because if Utah wins this game, they will have the absolute tiebreaker over Washington. And that means if they are tied at the end of the season on points, Utah is the higher is the higher team. So you absolutely want to see Utah win this if you're a Royals fan, not just because of the three points now, but that tiebreaker in the future. Fantastic shout. Fantastic shout. So, like you said, both teams have won four, draw one, and lost one. The um, Washington has not had a horrible defense despite... You know what? What we thought going in, uh, they have three clean sheets in six games and f- only four goals conceded, which isn't bad. I, I just don't know what to say. I don't know how to predict them. You know, they they are conceding a lot of fouls. They do have eight yellow cards this year. And all the well, all their goals but one. So nine of the ten goals are coming from inside the box. So if you can close space there, that may be a recipe for success. But I think it's at least from my perspective, I'm just so flabbergasted. I don't, 
I don't know what to say. I mean, they're a team that has a lot of young talent that is performing well. And when you have young talent performing well, that's going to do well. They have Andy Sullivan, who a lot of us thought a year ago was a lock to go to the World Cup. And they have Ashley Hatch, who is a really good goal scorer. So I feel like they're a team that was underrated because a lot of people didn't want to rate them. I mean, they were terrible last year. Um, so I get why people didn't rate them. And I didn't rate them super highly at the beginning of the year. But you can't discount the fact that they are winning games and putting points together. Now, if you want to talk about Richie Burke and you want to think about that and don't want to credit him with anything, that's your prerogative. But at the end of the day, he's putting together a really good team that's winning games. And at the end of the day, that is his job. So I think they definitely should be an investigation into him and his past comments, but I don't know what's going to come out of it because as far as we've heard, nothing is criminal, which makes it even harder if he did do something because there's nothing that's going to come of it except for maybe a fine and Washington doesn't seem interested in doing that. So I think Washington is a team that a lot of fans don't rally around because of him, but they're a super compelling team on the field. They are, and they're doing it all without Rose Lavelle and Mallory Pugh. Yeah. Another thing that's really interesting to know is so Spirit have scored 10 goals. They've only taken 52 shots. That is the second to worst in the league, only taking one more shot than Sky Blue. So they're converting one in five of their shots. So... Going back to just limit those opportunities if you're the Royals' defense. But the half of their shots are on goal, which is a huge thing. Out of the 52 shots they've taken, 29 are on goal, which is best for fifth in the league. Um, and, I mean, Utah's taken 54 shots and only has 22 on target. So when Washington shoots, they're shooting on target, and that's going to be a huge thing for Utah is how does the back line react and how does Nicole Barnhart, presuming it's Nicole Barnhart, how does she react to that onslaught? Yeah, exactly, exactly. They, um, I think... Audrey Bledsoe, talking about goalkeepers, incredible keeper. That's going to be, I, you know, I don't want to say, I guess you could call it the matchup to watch. I think, I don't think that there are going to be a whole ton of goals in this game. I think that the team who gets the clean sheet is going to win. Oh, I think this absolutely could be a gold fest. I think this could be a three to two game or a four to five game. I think this could absolutely be a goal fest because Washington has an incredibly young back line and Utah's back line is sort of made up with spare parts at the moment. Not that it's not working, but yeah. it'll be interesting, you know, playing Orlando with a bunch of replacement players versus playing Ashley Hatch is a much different experience. Fair, fair. I disagree with that. I, I, I do think it'll be low scoring, but, you know, in terms of attacking play versus keeping it's it's kind of it, it's two great keepers it's it's a battle of pick your poison do you want to go up against Audrey Bledsoe or do you want to go up against Nicole Bornhart it's going to be an interesting game to watch uh what do you what do you think we see result wise I think that Utah is a better team overall. Um, and I think Amy Rodriguez 
is going to welcome some of these uh, players to the NWSL as only Amy Rodriguez can. Um, and I think she's going to be a different sort of player than a lot of them have had to play against because she is like Amy Rodriguez doesn't know what she's going to do. So you can't figure out what she's going to do until she does it. Um, and that's really, really hard to defend against for the best defenders in the league. And then you take some people who are new and who are still trying to figure out everything out and it becomes that much harder. So I'm super excited to see Amy Rodriguez against the back line. I do think Utah gets the result. My guess is it's a more wide open game and Utah wins three to two. I think it'll be a one victory. I think the Royals will score in either the first 15 or the last five minutes of the first half. And I don't think there will be another goal in the game outside of that. That is weak, my friend. That is very weak. <laughs> it's safe. It's playing it safe. What fun is that it, in soccer? I know. It's not fun. It's not exciting. But we'll see. We'll see. So far, the Royals have not convinced me that they can score a plethora of goals in a single game. And I think that... Washington is on a hot streak and I think they'll keep going and I think that they'll just write it. But like you said earlier, this game could have massive implications at the end of the table or sorry on the table at the end of the season. So we will see where it goes. All right. So some listener questions, Marcus says, I hope the goal for Doniak lights her fire. Gabby Smith is great. She almost had an assist. Um, Marcus also says, what's up with the ball kids? Why was there only one ball kid on each back line they didn't throw it to the players in a timely manner um yeah i I guess i could see that the ball kids like weren't together but at the same time ball kids will be ball kids some other folks noticed that as well that they were huddled together and not paying attention i don't know i mean you should probably do do your job but i don't know i'm not reading too much into it i mean there's reading too much into it but there's like you have to have these kids pay attention because if there's, you know, 30 seconds left in a tie game and a ball kid decides to like take their sweet time handling it or giving it over to a player and the ref calls as soon as the ball's thrown in because, you know, 30 seconds was eaten up by a kid who wasn't paying attention, they're going to get screamed at and it's not going to be pretty. So I would like the ball kids to pay attention, please. Like, I know you're young. We were all young ones, but like hashtag ball kids pay attention. I didn't personally, I, I was paying attention to the field. I didn't pay much attention to the ball kids. So maybe what they were doing was egregious and, you know, taking other folks words for it. Yeah, it was probably bad, but I don't know. Be better. I guess Marcus is also bummed that Michelle Mimoni hasn't played. Um, he's almost at the same level of fangirl with her as Britt Ratcliffe. I think Michelle Maimoni is a great talent, but if you have a healthy Becca Moros and a healthy Katie Bowen, like, I'm sorry. They are both going to start. Well, we're about not to have a healthy uh, Katie Bowen because she's about to go <laughs> World Cup. So if you want to see uh, Michelle in, guess what? You're about to get your wish, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I heard Sydney Mary Montez was recovering or sorry, was pretty much good and ready to go. 
if I remember correctly, I don't think she was in the 18. So that will be an interesting development to see what happens. Here's the thing, though, with rookies, guys, is sometimes they come in and they play really well and then they don't play for a while. Like the thing with rookies is you don't know what they're going to be yet. And a coach like Laura Harvey is going to both trust her rookies, but also not be afraid to sit them when players that she already knows what they can do come back. So I don't give up hope that she will get more playing time, but I'm also not going to expect her to play every single moment. She's not like a Rose Lavelle or a, you know, Tierna Davidson where like she's going to come in and start automatically. That's just not her situation. So don't give up the hope that you're going to keep seeing her. Just don't expect her every game, especially when everybody comes back. Yeah. When a, when a Kelly O'Hara is healthy, like Kerry O'Hara is uh, Kelly O'Hara is going to be playing. Yes, Period. yes, she will. <laughs> so, um, yeah, don't don't get too used to it. But I think in the years to come, if it stays the same, I think that sort of a battle between Mimone and Sydney Mayor Montez to like who sort of owns that spot or who becomes trade bait and who has a secure spot on the roster could be something that could be really interesting to see play out. And here's the thing, like teams need backups. Teams need players who play seven or eight games a year and who are there when their coaches call on them. Not every player in the 18 is going to be a starter. There are going to be players that come in in limited time and just need you need them for 20 minutes because they're going to shut down defense or they're going to do, you know, something on offense that's different. So there are players on every roster that don't see a ton of time, but are also super important for how the team functions. So that might be her role for a couple of years and that's okay. And we have to let her develop at that pace. If that's how Laura Harvey wants to play her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. On that same note. So Stockton asks, how do you think the two rookies in Mimone and Vincent have done this year? My answer is exceeding expectations and I'll leave it at that. Yeah, I think if you look at them in the context of who they are as players and you look at them in the context of what players in their position usually do, usually do in this league, they are better than average. And that's all you can expect is better than average. That is that is the gold standard. Yeah, for real. All right, Stockton also says that was Doniak's first goal since being traded and since her big injury. Do you think that builds her confidence going forward? How happy for her are you? Talked about that a little bit. I'm stoked for her. I absolutely think it builds her confidence. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how it couldn't, right? Like, you score a goal, it's the first time your team has scored two all year. Like, that is that is a great accomplishment. It'll be interesting to see next time she comes in if she has a downtick or if she has an uptick. That's always what I'm interested in, uh, the game after somebody does a does a groundbreaking thing. Mm -hmm. I think also with Mackenzie Doniak is that she's only played 39 minutes. All of those are sub-appearances. So she hasn't really had the opportunity to get into the groove in the game. Before that, she hadn't played in a long time. Um I think there's just, you don't exactly know what to expect come game time from her. And so I think if she gets another goal, it'll be great. But I'm not going to sit here and say, oh yeah, she's going to score a buttload of goals this season. Because I don't know if she will. And a lot of that comes down to playing time. But it's also 
just sort of, we don't know, you know, we, we, we don't know what this McKenzie Doniak is going to look one in gold, look like one in gold and two long-term. And there's also the question of what does she look like, look like when the world cup players come back? Cause this is a season that has three sections, right? There's the beginning of the year when everybody's there, there's the sort of time when the world cup players are gone in and out for some of them. And then there's a time when everybody comes back and some people are going to be a little dinged up and some people are going to be a little bummed out. And some players are presumably going to be super happy because they just won a world cup. So, and then the U S is going to have games in the later half of the year because win or lose, they always do a celebration tour. So Doniak might be a player that might not see a ton of game time when everybody's back, but is going to be super important to pick up points when those players are in and out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think also looking long-term, it begs the question of what does next year look like? Cause in an ideal world, Taylor Lytle and Brittany Ratcliffe are also going to be healthy and those, you know, players, same with an Erica Timrak, they're kind of interchangeable in, in, in the attacking three that they all bring. I don't want to say the same thing, but they are of, I suppose you could say, the similar a similar type of mold. So I don't know. I don't know what Donnie Ack's role is going forward long term. And you have the Olympics next year, which presumably Press, O'Hara, and Sauerbrunn all make that roster. Um, so another opportunity for a Doniak or another player to, to slip in there and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. It's so unpredictable. All right. So John also, I know I'm a big fan already, but do you think Vincent has solidified a starting spot in the center back position until after the world cup? I know this was the worst team in the league right now, but she was still very impressive in my opinion. What do you think RJ? I'll let you go first. I don't know um, if she's done enough to solidify. I think she's given herself another game. And at this stage, at this point in her career, all she really needs to do is give herself another game. She needs to play well enough in the game she's in to make Laura Harvey start her or make Laura Harvey want to start her the next game. And then she builds on that and builds on that and builds on that. And that's how you become somebody that the team keeps around. Even when the national team players are back, even when you have your starters back, that's the type of player you want to be. Um, Cause every roster will carry multiple of different positions. So she's given herself, in my opinion, good enough play to play next game. Um, and that's really all that you can expect and all that you can hope for at the moment. I don't think anyone could have said that any any better. I think the NWSL is a league where 95% of players, you have to prove your worth week in and week out. The best players in the world come here. You know, a Becky Sauerbrunn can have a bad game and still start the next week. Same with, you know, a Kristen Press or a Kelly O'Hara. But for other players, you have to prove in you know, week in, week out that you are worthy of that spot, you know, and Lola Bonta is a great example of someone who is doing that right now. Do I think that she has a permanent lock on that position? Absolutely not. But right now she's winning it. And I think that's, you know, both the most and the least that you can ask for. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but if we're looking at right now, like, like you said, RJ, yeah, I, th- I think she wins the next game. I think when you look at who is behind her in that center back position, which is really sort of Megan Cox. We haven't seen Megan Cox in a couple games. Uh, 
she didn't go out on the latest road trip, I don't believe. So yeah, Gabby Vincent is is, is winning that spot as of now. All right. Um, so Chris, Chris sent an email. Love emails. Um, Chris has three questions. So how fortunate should the Royals feel about the refereeing from Saturday's match? Very fortunate. Absolutely. Very, very fortunate. Yeah. Very, very lucky. Question two. Do you expect Disco to take action against Lowe? I don't expect Disco to be able to tie their shoes without being told to, so I don't <laughs> expect it, but we'll see if it happens. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. All right. Last question from Chris. Who's your MVP at the quarter point of the season? This is such a good question. Can we say it on three so we see if we say the same person or not? Give me like a a five seconds of awkward silence that I won't edit out for hilarity purposes just to to make a decision. You can edit out my humming. It's terrible. No, I love it. It's staying. Um, All right. Three, two, one. Barnhart. Oh, I should have gone Barnhart. Okay, I take that back. Shall we do no, that again? Three, no, two, one, <laughs> no, you don't get to change because I think she's a legitimate choice. The problem is she hasn't been there for a couple of weeks. Like she legitimately, when she came out, things changed and changed in big ways. Um, but because she's not been there and she's not going to be able to be there, um, that's why I shifted it to Barnhart. And Barnhart has kept them in game. She has come up with some giant saves. But I don't think Desiree Scott is a bad choice at all. I agree with you, though. Now now that you said it, I would absolutely shift to Barnhart. She has made some incredible saves. All right, everyone. That's it for this week. Um, We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Utah Royals FC show. And enjoy our last game before we break into talking about the World Cup.